Welcome to another episode of the Property Nomads podcast. We've got another FAQs episode where we are going to be exploring things about mortgages, uh, investing where you live and adding value to properties. So do not miss this. Again, as always, thank you for sending in your questions. Uh, we really appreciate it. These are these questions, again, are in no particular order. And these are questions that Aaron and I find that we're getting asked uh, quite a lot, either through social media, people emailing in or in, in general conversations that we are having with investors. As mentioned in the last episode or the last FAQ episode, at some point, we're going to put this into book format as well. Fully appreciate that some people are going to be better visual learners. They're going to want to see something I fully appreciate that some people are, are kinetic learners, i.e. they've got to hold and touch something, i.e. a book. Um, and of course, also aware that some people are going to be audio learners, so we prefer this format anyway. But what we found, we're starting to compile enough content here to uh, generate a new book, uh, which will be incredibly beneficial for you. So uh, watch this space. Do listen out for more announcements on the Property Nomads podcast. With that being said, uh, let's crack on. Caveat, and I think I made this caveat on episode three, and I'll make this at this episode because we're going to be talking uh, about financials and bits and bobs like that. We are not IFA regulated, or sorry, we're not FCA regulated. Uh, we are not independent financial advisors. Uh, this is for educational purposes only. If you are seeking professional advice, professional help with regards to property investing and when it comes to mortgages, uh, monies, etc., etc., uh, please do contact the appropriate brokers, accountants, tax planners, etc. If you're struggling for recommendations, email into us, robertpmpodcast.com. Uh, we can put you in contact with our power team as well. That is not a problem. Let's start at the top then. What type of mortgage is better, an interest only or repayment mortgage? Uh, that comes from Pete. Thank you very much for that question. It depends. It is the answer. I've done an episode recently about inflation, macroeconomics as well. Uh, quite hot on that subject uh, when we're not producing property related content on the episode. Oh, sorry, on the podcast. Either or can be OK. But you will find that more than likely property investors will go for interest only. Uh, the reason for that is inflation. And what inflation does is that pushes up the price of things uh, throughout the economy. As we all probably already know if you've been shopping recently you'd have probably noticed that prices are going up anyway and of course with various housing reports uh, point being because inflation pushes up the price of things or stuff uh, what it also does at the same time is it erodes away the current debt it's a very long-term process but let's just say that you buy a house for hundred thousand pounds and you've got 75 percent loan to value which means that the mortgage you've got on it, I have to think about my maths there for a second, is £75,000. So you've got £100,000 house, 75% loan to value mortgage, which means you've got £75,000 mortgage, £25,000 equity. Now, let's just say we've got inflation. You go and refinance that property in five years time and that property is now worth £200,000. Uh, again, all hypothetical. So you've got a property that's worth £200,000, but you're mortgage is still only £75,000. So you've now got a £75,000 mortgage, but you've got £125,000 worth of equity and you haven't really done anything. 
You've bought a house at £100,000. It's now worth £200,000, but your mortgage level is the same. Many people, for reasons, for that reason alone, will go for an interest-only mortgage because when the prices go up, you're going to build in more natural equity into your portfolio. And then over time, that will give you many more options moving forward. Happy days. Repayment mortgages are also quite useful, but what nine times out of 10, it will mean that you're paying more off per month because you're paying the interest and the capital, which means that your cash flow is going to be less than it was than it would be if you're on an interest only mortgage. So if you're in property investment and you want cash flow, you, probably you should go for an interest only mortgage. Again, speak to broker. Uh, we're not offering financial advice. You suggest opinion. Chances are you want to go to for an interest only mortgage because inflation is going to do should do the job for you. If you go for repayment, it means after 25 years or whatever term you decide to take that you would have paid off your mortgage and happy days. So go back to what I said at the start. It depends. The question was, what type of mortgage is better? Interest only or a payment? It depends on you. It depends on your strategy. Uh, it depends on your risk aversion as well. There are great arguments to be made for why repayment mortgages are better. There are great arguments to be made for interest only mortgages and why they are better as well. All I would say is speak to your broker, know why you're investing in property and what you want to achieve. Also study history as well. Inflation is there for a reason and it keeps pushing the prices up of things. Uh, followed by Oh, followed by Pete again. Now, thank you for that. Now, you got a double there. What length of mortgage is most appropriate? Refer back to your broker and refer back to why are you doing something? What's going on in the economy at the time? Is it important? Is it imperative to lock in a very low fixed rate for a very long period of time? Chances are that you might want to do that. When I say what's going on at the time, we've just got to look at what's happening at the time of recording. Inflation is creeping up, creeping up. That's because our wonderful government believe in or Bank of England believe in modern monetary theory, which isn't going to work. And it's all going to come crashing down at some point. But that being said, at the moment, inflation is rife. Things are going up. Uh, so things are bubbling away. At some point, it will all come crashing down. And in order to stimulate the economy again, um, we might have a great reset, a big reset and interest rates might have to at some point go up again. I'm not saying it is going to happen, but chances are it will at some point because that's what history shows us. Now, if you understand the macroeconomics and you can make a decision on what you think is going to happen based on what you know and what you studied from history, then you should be able to make an appropriate judgment of what length of mortgage that you want to take on. I know when Aaron and I started, uh, one strategy that we have had is we'll buy, we'll buy a property uh, we'll buy it with a mortgage, we'll buy it on a two-year fixed, we'll do a small refurb and we'll let you know a couple of years go by and then refinance that way. And that's because we had uh, investors or have investors that are very laid back, happy with the approach that we're taking. So we've explained that approach from the start. Of course, every investor, every relationship's different. So they've been happy with that. So therefore, at that time, we have taken that mortgage as well. Now we've got things on longer rates. Uh, longer, sorry, fixed periods, because that's, that's what we can see in uh, the economy at the moment. Um, only time will tell. Lo uh, dure el tiempo in Spanish. Only time will tell. But what length of mortgage is most appropriate? 
have an understanding of the macroeconomics, understand why you're doing what you're doing in property, uh, understand what's going on and ultimately speak to your broker and ask for their advice. Should I use other people's monies or use my own? I think every good entrepreneur will say to use other people's money, OPM, as you might have seen it in property forums, because if you if you use other people's money, then happy days, you've still got your own big win. Some people, whether they're scared of talking to investors or, you know, afraid of raising funds for whatever reason, might just decide that they've got, you know, a million quid sat in a bank, they're just going to use their own cash. That's fine. It's completely up to you. I don't think there's any right or wrong. Uh, you can always use a blend of finance as well. Uh, sometimes it's good, very good to have skin in the game, as they say. So if you're trying to raise £100,000 for, for a deal, you might have £40,000 of your own cash that you might want to put in and then you need to raise 60000 from an investor. That can be quite useful because when you're explaining that to the investor, they can see that you've put your money where your mouth is as well. We, we've used a, a blend over, over the years. We've put our own skin in the game whilst simultaneously using other people's money. So should I use other people's money or use my own? I would say use a blend personally, but if you can get other people's finance on the on the cheap, then certainly have a look at that as well. Can I invest where I live? Well, yes, absolutely. 100% categorically. Yes, 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 yes. You can definitely invest where you live. Number one, where do you live? Number two, find a strategy that works in your area. So if you live in, I'm just going to say London, you live in London, chances are that if you're after cash flow and you want to then go down the buy to let route, chances are that's not going to happen in London. What could work in London is taking properties on rent to rent, service accommodation could possibly work, commercial conversions, getting planning gains and flipping property that way. HMOs possibly could work in London. I know of a few people that are doing them. Flips, you know, buy, buy a property, add value, sell it on. That would definitely work. You have to understand what you're doing in property and, and why you're doing it. So uh, let's go back to this example. Let's just say you want cash flow. You live in London, but you want to do buy to let property. Those three things aren't going to add up. That's like adding two and two and together and getting six. Not going to work. If you just want chunks of cash every now and then, and you live in London, then chances are you're going to flip property. Happy days. Fantastic. You live in London, you want cash flow, and you're open to a strategy. Find a strategy that works for you where you live in London. Alternatively, you know, you might be lucky enough to live in, say, I don't know, Grimsby. buy to lets in Grimsby are fantastic. HMOs over there are fantastic. In fact, there's a lot of strategies that work in Grimsby. But focusing on the buy to let you live in Grimsby, you know the you're going to know the area relatively well anyway. It's on your doorstep. You've got relatively inexpensive property. You're going to have good cash flow in property there. Yeah, of course you can invest where you live. The only time you might not want to invest where you live is if you don't have the education or the understanding of how you can make cash in property, and then how you can apply that to where you live. There is always cash to be made in property. Always money to be made. It's about finding the right people, the right network, the right places, the right strategy that works for you. But there is nothing stopping you from investing where you live. Uh, property is so varied that there is pretty much always going to be a strategy to work for you in the area that you live in. So yeah, broaden your horizons and try and fit a circle peg into a circle hole. Don't try and fit a square peg into a round hole. That doesn't quite work. 
What is the best way to keep up to date with property news? Start with the Property Nomads podcast. Uh, we, we do our best to provide as much great content as possible. There are many websites. Really, there are so many websites. Uh, property 118 is probably one of my favourites. I've interviewed uh, them before, uh, back in the early days of the podcast. Uh, just incredibly informative. So there's many websites that you can use. Uh, there are other magazines, uh, your Property Network magazine. Other magazines are available. They always provide very good information. We're in the 21st century, so social media as well is a very good way of keeping up to date with what's going on. You've got various books as well, you know, books that we've written, Buy to Let How to Get Started, 101 Top Property Tips. You know, we're looking in, into the property FAQs book as well. There are there's so many other property people that have written property books that, you know, they are inexpensive to buy, whether you buy the paper format or Kindle format or an audio book. The world is your oyster when it comes to that. Podcasts as well. There are a plethora of, of property podcasts and there are going to be more generic property podcasts. There are going to be people that are then a speci are speaking specifically uh, about a subject in, in property itself. That's a lot of S's for me. So, for example, you might get a, you know, a rent to rent podcast, for example. So there are many different ways of keeping up to date with property news. What I would say is do try not to rely too much on the BBC or, or main um, papers. I'm not saying they're all as bad as each other, but mass media does have a way of spinning things to create the image or the story that they want you to perceive. I find that a lot of stuff anyway is doom and gloom when it comes to being on the BBC or major papers. So I would say just keep an eye out for that, but be a bit sceptical where you can as well. All that being said, in general, podcasts, books, audiobooks, magazines uh, will be uh, other property websites. Uh, will be the best way to keep up to date with property news. How will I be able to work out the yield slash return of the property? Good question. Love that question. We find that speaking to people over the years, everyone does it differently, which is bizarre. But it's your portfolio, so you are entitled to work things out how you want to work things out. Some people will do uh, will just work on gross yield. So that's a total rent per annum over the value of the property. Some people will work it out on net. So that's minus expenses of the property. Some people will work it out on net ROI uh, as we do. Um, I think you can. I have seen terms of net ROCE, return on capital employed. Uh, we just call it, or Aaron and I just call it net return on investment. So we'll look at how much uh, cash is left in the deal. So how much of your own cash is left in the deal? Uh, net those expenses. So we've got the net figure of that uh, and then divide that by the total rent. So uh, let's just say that you have £10,000, exactly £10,000 left in the deal. And after all your expenses, your net is going to be £5,000. And that means you've got a 50% net ROI. That's how Aaron and I work it out. Because that works for our business, that works for our investment model, that works for how we do things. I'm not saying that that is the way that you should do yours, but that's how we do ours and it works for us. So it doesn't mean we reject a lot of deals given our criteria, but it doesn't mean that what we add into the portfolio we know works for us and provides the quality that we want to have in our portfolio. I'm sure there are other methods that are available, but off the top of my head, 
uh, yeah, gross yield, net yield, uh, net ROI or you know, return ROCE, return on capital employed. Next question, how do I find a good rental area? I'll go back to the R word, research. Research, research, research. And economics, I'll put the economics in there as well. So where we are in, I'm just gonna say this is England, okay? Uh, can, you know, the Welsh and Scottish do things a bit differently. But the general economics in England is supply of housing is much lower than demand. Demand is way, way higher than supply. So therefore, general rule of thumb is that demand is high and really, no matter what the area, your rental demand is probably going to be high. Now, there are caveats to that. Every town, city, area has got good parts, uh, areas that are going to be better at renting out than others. And there are going to be some absolutely crap parts of towns and, and cities that you wouldn't want to invest in. I know that in Hull, there are certain streets that you would, you would probably not want to invest in, uh, given the uh, clientele of the area. There are going to be areas that are fantastic to invest in. How do you find them? I speak to people that are already investing in the areas. I find that if, if you're serious about property, you're not going to be afraid of any competition and you are going to be happy to share information. Speak to people that are already investing. Uh, ask estate agents. Ask lettings agents. Now, you can ask estate agents on, on good areas to buy, and that's good, and that's good homework. But when it comes down to rental areas, that's when you want to be asking your lettings agents. Find your independent lettings agents, speak to them. Don't just speak to one, though. Speak to many. Uh, three is normally a good rule of thumb. And if all three of you, if all three of them give you a particular area, like, oh, I don't know, let's just say... Orchid Park, but don't really go and invest in Orchid Park in Hull, but you know, I'm just going to say Orchid Park. Oh, yeah. If three lettings agents say, yep, three bedders, Orchid Park, there's your bread and butter. Boom, that's what you're after. You can then go to the estate agents to go, right, I'm after three beds in Orchid Park. What have we got? That simple way of doing it. The good thing is a lot of that can be done via the phone as well. Uh, Google Maps is also useful. Just pick up the blower. So if you live in London and you're thinking of investing in Hull or you're investing in Newcastle or wherever it might be, pick up the phone. Do some homework, do some research, speak to the lens agents. And then once you've located good rental areas from what the lettings agents have told you, that's where you can flip on its head, go chat with the estate agents and uh, get viewing in areas that you know are going to rent very, very well. Hopefully that helps. Uh, final one of the day for the, this episode. Uh, how can value be added to a property? Many ways. Oh, absolutely. Many ways that you can add value to a property. You can do, you can add a new heating system. You can focus on kitchen and bathroom. They're, they're the two most common things that you should focus on. Gardens as well. Because if, you, if you're flipping or even if you're renting, what you want to do, you want to create that wow factor. So when people walk in, if people are putting in an offer to buy or people are, are hoping to rent uh, the home, you want to create that wow factor. So are you going to dress the property uh, when it comes around to doing that? Um, have you added value uh, by uh, putting a new bathroom in? Is there a new kitchen in? Uh, have you adhered to the latest colour trends, which appear to be this elephant grey amongst other colours? Is the area good? So uh, listen to the answer for the previous question for that. Have you added an extension to the property? Have you split title? You know, if, you, if you're buying a block of flats, for example, you buy a block of three flats and you buy it on a freehold, um, have, you know, you can split 
you could title split and then you've got three leaseholds that you can then sell and you could possibly retain the freeholders as a result. Value can be added uh, through planning as well. You might get a warehouse or whatever, or you might get a you know big property and you might want to add, you know, a, a just say you've got a big back garden, a massive garden. You might get planning permission to build another property in, in the backyard. That is a massive way of adding value to a home as well. That really, that that is a whole episode in itself. Uh, I think that's something we've covered before on the Property Nomads podcast. Uh, bear with me, I'm just trying to find the number. Uh, yeah, episode 178, six ways to add value to a property. So we go over the uh, generic ways there of adding value. In short, there are many ways that you can add value to a property. Uh, if you're flipping, look at your kitchens and your bathrooms. If you're renting, you want to create that wow factor. If you are doing other property strategies, then it has to be a case of, um, you know, looking at maybe planning gains, spitting titles, uh, these sorts of things. Yeah, that's how you add value to a property. Uh, go check out episode 178 as well. I hope that you've uh, found that useful. Property FAQs, as mentioned, we're going to put this into book format in due course as well. Uh, keep your questions coming in. Uh, you know what we'll do we'll do our best to get another one out uh, as and when uh, there's been a multitude of questions that have been received easiest way to get your questions sent across rob at tpnpodcast.com alternatively uh, you can uh, send us a, a dm on instagram as well so if you've got a question that you want answering that hasn't already been covered in the uh, previous property faq episodes get in touch with us we will do our best to get that out into an episode for you as always we love your feedback on the podcast thank you uh, do go to itunes leave us a review uh, connect with us on our social media platforms i uh, start to do some more stuff on youtube where we can as well thank you for your continued support uh, until next time i'll feel the same